When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your etiquette questions on offering additional sympathy, accessible bathroom etiquette, to stand or not to stand during dinner when introductions present themselves, thanking group donors, and whether or not something is gossip or a good story. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript from Amy Vanderbilt's classic etiquette book, offering her perspective on if children should be seen and not heard. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about what constitutes snooping in a guest bathroom. Sustaining members can find your ads-free version of the show with its extra question by downloading it at awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. I had the sweetest spontaneous invitation come my way last night. Do tell. Well, so, you know, I get home to my neighborhood and I get a text message from my sister who's walking around with my baby nephew and says, oh, can we stop by? Sure. So I get to say hi to him. And then I take Benny for a little walk. And as I'm coming back from my little walk with him, I see one of my neighbors and he's like crossing the street kind of right in front of my house. And I wave and say hi. And we chat for a while. And he says, yeah, I'm going over to that house. And he points to a house that has a lot of people and kids on the front lawn. And he said, we do a weekly popsicle night in the neighborhood. And there's like 10 families that each each week on Wednesday night, they do a different house. And it's popsicles for the kids and beer in the cooler for the parents that would like beer. And it's just on the front lawn. Anyone's welcome to stop by and say hello, dogs, kids, neighbors. And it was really sweet after about five minutes of talking with my neighbor, the kid of the house that it was being hosted at came running to the edge of the curb, stopped, thank goodness, on the street, and said, Lizzie, do you want to come over? We're having popsicles on the lawn. And it was like the sweetest, most exuberant invite. <laughs> and I was talking with his parents about it afterwards, and they said our parents both encouraged us to go up to people, you know, that weren't strangers, but that were safe adults to go up to and feel confident, like having a conversation or doing this or that. And I just I love that. You know, Emily Post was huge on respecting children. And the only way you're going to teach them to be adults is by treating them like people, (laughs) including them, giving them the respect that you would want to see them giving people for the rest of their lives. Exactly. And it was just such a 
beautiful evening. It was a wonderful moment. I was really, really happy for it. So I feel like I've joined you in your <laughs> neighborhood, neighborhood <laughs> w- w- which is such a sweet neighborhood. It is. It is a very sweet neighborhood. So I'm hoping I can get my sister down to the Popsicle Party next Wednesday. <laughs> she would love it. So before we get to the show. Yeah. I have to say a great big hello to a very particular podcast listener out Who there. Who are we saying hello to? We're saying hello to Kate from Minnesota. Oh! And you had a little interaction with Kate, and then I had a little interaction with Kate. And I asked her if it was okay to talk about this on the show, and she said absolutely. Kate was visiting Vermont from Minnesota, and she had reached out to say, I would love to poke my head into the Emily Post Institute and just see where this all comes from. And I listen to the show all the time. I'm a big fan. It didn't work out. I happened to be in the office the day that she was in Burlington, said, yes, absolutely, come by. She had an appointment in a different part of the state that day. It it, it didn't work out. Our paths <laughs> didn't cross. Not at the office. Fast forward a couple days later, and because I started the story there, you probably know where the story is going to end. Pooja and I show up to church about five minutes late, and we <laughs> scooch in the back, and we slip into the pew, and there's someone new in church. Uh, about one pew up from us. And I thought to myself, oh, I wonder who that is. And after church, she came up and introduced herself. It was Kate. She had been staying at a little bed and breakfast nearby and had asked about a place to catch a Sunday morning service. And they had said, oh, there's this nice church, little white people church on the top of the hill in Waterbury. <laughs> and during the, the service that morning, my mother had told the children's story. And she did uh, American Sign Language signs for magic words as the children's story. So her name was in the bulletin and she was in front of the church for that moment. And Kate started to make connections, say, I wonder if I'm in the church, the church that, that Dan, goes Dan goes to. to. <laughs> and sure enough, then I slipped in with Pooja was sitting in the back. And afterwards, she came up and said, hi, it was so nice that our paths <laughs> did get to cross. And we got to spend a little bit of time together on a lovely, sunny summer morning. And I just wanted to say hi to Kate, who I'm sure is now back home in Minnesota. <laughs> no, that was very cool. Very cool crossing of paths. I loved hearing about that when I came back in on Monday. Well, I wanted to tell you about it because I know you had gone back and forth with emails a little uh, bit. Text messages. We were texting back and forth. Yeah. And then it hadn't resolved, but then it did resolve. So thank you, Lizzie Post. Thank you, Kate. It was such a pleasure. I bet if Kate's out there listening, she probably wants us to get to the show. (laughs) I think that's a good guess. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. 
You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled, More Sympathy? Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I love your show and have a question. I just heard that my boss received some very negative financial news, and she is devastated. She works remotely, and while I have already expressed how sorry I was to hear it, I feel that it would be considerate to do something else. Is it appropriate to send a note or flowers? Maybe there's something else that's more appropriate. Thanks so much. I'm always learning from you. Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you for this question. And I want to tell you that I'm always learning from my cousin. And (laughs) she had a really, I think, excellent thought about this. She says, you know, sometimes a little less is more appropriate. And I really liked that idea. Sometimes giving someone a little space and respecting someone's privacy is the considerate, kind, respectful thing to do. And I can feel the desire to want to be there, to be supportive, to connect, to offer sympathy. And this is one of those cases where this is such a private and such a personal thing that having already mentioned it, if this person hasn't followed it up with you and opened the door more to more of a conversation or continuing this dialogue in some ways that you really want to take pause and consider what the best course of action is. And maybe it's going to be appropriate, but I think your first instinct should be to to step back and give this friend that space. I'm glad to hear that you felt like that registered because it feels awkward to say don't do more to someone who you're clo- you work closely with. And the thing that struck me about this was that it's financial and personal. And unless you are directly related to that financial situation or, as Dan said, it becomes something that's talked about on a very regular basis with you, you almost become the person they're leaning on to talk about it, um, I, then I think it feels just like – like that that one step may be too far, even though the intention is fantastic, um, to receive a follow-up, I'm so sorry about your devastating financial loss with flowers. I, I think it's almost a little too much in this case. But I like the idea of being there for someone and encouraging just good things and good vibes in your boss's life um, and doing things like being really just extra pleasant and helpful right now, looking for ways that you can make that office and work life experience easier and better. That's the kind of stuff that you can do that can help without feeling almost like you're sending a condolence or something. And that's what I didn't want it to kind of register as. 
I did have a thought, though, that when you know someone's going through an extended tough time, sometimes actually waiting a while and sending something later on to cheer them up. You know, maybe in a month she mentions that things are still tough, but they're figuring it out or something. That might be a time to send some flowers and just say, you know, I just I just thought these might brighten up a day or a tough month or something like that. And I could see that feeling a little more appropriate. I love that idea. That was exactly what I was thinking about when I was thinking about keeping your antenna out. Sort of look for those cues or signals from this person that they could use a little support or that they do want to talk about it some more and then provide that support or offer it. And that can come in the form of, like you suggest, something to brighten their day. A little flower or something is a nice idea. Even just an offer. If you ever want to talk, I'm always here. Just letting someone know that they have support in their life, that they've got someone they can trust and lean on if they want to, can go a long way whether they take you up on that offer or not. Absolutely. Anonymous, we hope that this helps. You are a very caring coworker. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question is about accessible stall access. Dear Dan and Lizzie, I was in a crowded ladies' room today and found myself faced with an etiquette question that I hadn't thought of before. There were about four stalls, one of which was an accessible stall. When it was my turn to go into the stall, it was the accessible one that opened up. Is it proper etiquette to forego the open stall to leave it open to someone who might need it? Or should I use the accessible stall and not keep my fellow ladies in line waiting when there is an open one? There were no ladies in line that clearly needed to use that stall, but I worry about someone coming up while I was in there. I would hate to have someone who needs that stall left waiting once they get to the front of the line for me to finish. I can see how that would be frustrating and perhaps embarrassing, but it also feels inconsiderate to make other ladies wait when there is a stall open. I'm totally at a loss. What should I do? Thanks for the help, Kristen. You know, we had a version of this question on the dinner party download. We did. It was an interesting debate with the guys about what to do. But a few things that came out of that that I felt was like really good starter points for this conversation are that, number one, it's really important for those who need access to a larger bathroom stall with a handrail that they have it, that it is there for them. And I think that that is that's just clear cut. It's a good foundational <laughs> principle to start with. Exactly. You know, one of the points that we also brought up in that conversation was that you can't always tell from looking at someone if this is the stall that would be helpful for them. And it's funny, but sometimes I know of folks who can go into the non-accessible stalls if those are large enough, but if they're not large enough, then they really do need the accessible stall. And so for each person, it can be a little bit different, too. And you're never going to know by looking in the line at who is going to need that stall. So the thing that I've come up with that, that I found really works is when you're in that line and there are people waiting and that stall does become available, to simply look down the line and ask, does anyone need the accessible stall 
you know, before I go in. And that way you're at least considering everyone in the room. You're giving a chance for someone who who does need it to get to it and to speak up and say, oh, that would be wonderful. Thank you. And if nobody speaks up, you're probably only going to be in there for a minute or two. So if someone does come in that line, and I just love our listener for thinking about that, it won't be a, a tragically long wait for them. The thing that gets frustrating about people who don't need this stall using it is when you've got someone who sets up camp in there, goes in to do a full wardrobe change with and, and really takes the five to ten minutes to do it. Or maybe a little more crass spreads out the newspaper and decides to take their time and just is carving out room for themselves. That's not what this stall is for. Because I really like pairing those two thoughts. The idea that the, the foundational idea is you want to leave this open and available for the people that it's intended for. And at the same time, in this particular situation, there is this question of a courtesy to the people that are going to keep moving (laughs) if you're able to use it and use it in a way that's considerate. And checking with that line because you can't make assumptions and then also being quick and as, as fast as possible about your use of that space once you have checked with people that that no one who needs it more than you is really waiting for it. I, I think that starts to balance a couple of the needs that are present in this situation. And hopefully you can keep that use quick enough that if someone were to come, it wouldn't be too, too long before they would get that preferred use that, that really that space is set up for. I'm not imagining a situation that's not the situation that we're presented with where you walk into a restroom, you have your choice, and you choose to use that accessible stall if you don't need it. That's one of the places where I say the choice is really easy. Use the stall that leaves that space available for someone that does. This is definitely a tough question, and we would really love to hear from our audience. I Just out in the world when I'm with friends and family, I actually hear people talk about this very differently and have differing opinions on it. We would love to hear more of those opinions so that we can help form an answer that really holds up all the different views that are there. Kristen, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to talk about this on the show. How do you go about being thoughtful? What do you do? Every time I try, I only make things worse. Is there some particular method of being thoughtful that works every time? We are now going to address the question, to stand or not? It begins. Quick question. I was recently at a dinner party at which our governor was present. While we were eating and were seated, the governor came to our table to meet us. Men should stand to shake hands, and they did. Should a woman stand or remain seated in this situation? Thank you, Sheila. Sheila, thank you for this question. And I'm kind of jealous. Dinner with the governor. (laughs) Sounds like fun. Sounds like maybe it was a formal affair. Technically, anyone should stand regardless of gender. It's a sign of respect. Yes. That is a a current gender-neutral standard that we say absolutely applies in business situations and is pretty broadly applied in social situations. There are some people who 
hold to a, what was a traditional social standard that says women do not have to stand when they are shaking hands or when they are introduced. And it would be a valid choice to make in social situations if you wanted to employ that very traditional courtesy. Most people are going to be more comfortable standing, meeting eye to eye. It's a great way to show respect. It's a great way to meet someone in a way that really gives that introduction a, a moment and a moment to to breathe and live between two people. And it's not that it can't happen if you stay seated, but that act of standing, to my mind, sort of formalizes that introduction in some ways. And I think it's a nice gesture. You will see situations where someone is sort of trapped at a table in a restaurant where it's not easy to get up out of their chair. And they'll even gesture standing. They'll sort yeah. of lift out of their, their chair a yeah. little bit just to extend their hand. And Oftentimes when you see that, someone will even apologize a little bit, say, oh, I'm sorry I can't get up, but it's such a pleasure to meet you. And I think that's a nice acknowledgement to go along with that gestural gesture of standing. I think that when you're dealing with the, the type of situation that's being described, you've got people seated at a meal. When the meal is actually in front of them and someone comes to the table, often the person coming to the table from an etiquette standpoint, is sort of seen as interrupting the meal. And they often say, please don't stand or don't get up. And I think that is really nice. We're talking about a situation where we've got a political figure. We tend to respect political figures in our culture. And it was it, this would be a situation where you really would want to stand to greet somebody. And I think that especially modern etiquette would say both the gentlemen and the ladies would stand to greet the governor when he comes to introduce himself to the table or she comes to introduce herself to the table. That is playing a part here, I believe, because let's just say that, that you're out at a restaurant with your family and it's an easy table for people to stand up from and your uncle happens to be entering the same restaurant and comes over to greet you all. I just it's I think people might not feel as inclined to stand as when then the governor comes to their table today. And I don't mean to make such a big, you know, like people on high or something kind of comment about it. But I do think that that plays a part in this. It, it played into my mind also because I was thinking about those professional relationships yeah. and that Sometimes it's a social function. Sometimes the governor's there and it's a gala. It's a, it really is a so. But even those types of functions, there's oftentimes an uh, an undercurrent of professional relationships being made, formed, maintained, established, and sometimes that's done well socially. But even in those social environments, if you sort of tip your hat to that that professional undercurrent, I think that it's it's worth thinking about and it can have really positive effects on those relationships. Sheila, we hope this helps in balancing the decision of whether to stand or not to stand at a meal. One of the secrets of having a good time at a party lies in trying to see that others have a good time. And while it's certainly reasonable and fun to relax for a while and just stand around, nevertheless, all boy huddles... And all girl huddles carried on too long can get to be a bore. Our next question is titled, Memorial Fund Thank Yous. My father passed away recently, and we received many cards from his church office notifying us of gifts that were made to the church memorial fund in his honor. The cards read, A gift has been made to the memorial fund in memory of our father by the giver and his address. One donation was given by three brothers and sisters and spouses of a family-owned business, and the address was given as the company name and address. Is it necessary to write a thank you note to each couple, or will one note suffice? 
So you hear us say often that it's it's really good to write the thank you note to each uh, person who was involved in it. But in this type of an instance, I think you are very much so in the clear to send one large thank you note to the family and the company as a whole. It looks to me like this is being represented as the family business is making this donation and, and supporting. And I think if they were going to do it individually, they would have done it individually as couples. If our family business made such a donation when a friend's father had passed, I would not feel any offense at receiving a note to the institute addressed to the post family or to then all the people. If it's if it's Dan and Lizzie, Dan and Lizzie and Peter and Trisha and Anna and Matt and, uh, you know, depending on who it is. I think in this circumstance, we're okay with the group. Thank you note. For me, the cue there is the address. It, yeah. That right. You've got a yeah. single address from all of these people, and that's what sort of solidifies that thought for me. If I saw a couple and a home address, I would send that thank you note to the couple and that home address. You might also think about um, an acknowledgement in the church bulletin or as part of announcements in church. You might be doing that as part of a general thank you. It sounds like this has been organized through your church and – I'm sure that's already in your mind, but Mm -hmm. that's another place where you have the opportunity to offer a broad thanks and acknowledge everyone that's done something. Anonymous, we are sorry for your father's recent passing, but we hope this helps. And we are so glad that you are surrounded by a lot of love and support right now. Yes, everywhere you go, people talk about thoughtfulness. Our next question is titled, Is it Gossip? Would it be improper to talk about an unfortunate event that happened at someone's wedding? The incident I think of is at a recent outdoor wedding. A sw- <clears throat> the incident I'm thinking of was that at a recent outdoor wedding, a swarm of half-dollar-sized horseflies invaded the reception. Not only were they a distraction, they were biting guests. Should guests try to forget this and never speak of it again? Or is it okay to talk about it and just hope that the comments never get back to the couple? This is this was a great question. I love this. And I love it for so many reasons. Right? One of the first ones is that so much attention gets placed on weddings and trying to make them perfect, perfect and special days. <laughs> it's such a great reminder that... Accidents will happen. Mistakes will be made. The only thing that you can count on is the unexpected. Yeah. Dollar-sized horse Dollar-sized horse wedding guests. In July in Vermont, I can understand the <laughs> the nuisance and the, oh, oh, the distraction that this could cause. Yeah. It's never okay to gossip. It is okay to laugh. Absolutely. And how you find and strike the balance between those two things is really, I think, where the, the etiquette in this answer lies. And there are lots of ways to do that. And I think a lot of it has to do with the spirit that these discussions are happening with. Absolutely. This, my first thought was, you know, we can etiquette ourselves right into a life of really boring inability to laugh at ourselves, inability to just absorb the world around us and say, 
this, this is what we're in and, and this is silly or funny or crazy. And I think that etiquette isn't supposed to, to stall life or make you never be able to speak of anything other than what is Pollyanna pretty. The and, word anodyne comes to yeah, mind. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And so I look at this as, is it gossip or is it storytelling? And as Dan points out, the how is what matters here. And I think if you're talking about how beautiful someone's wedding was and how happy the couple looked, but man, we got attacked by a swarm of horseflies. It was nuts. I'm so glad it didn't ruin the, you know, the dancing or the food or the this. Even if maybe you think it does, putting that positive spin on it lets the story be a story and not a complaint. When you're walking around saying, oh, my goodness, I just can't believe how awful that wedding was. That's what they get for having a wedding outdoors. Why would they have it near a pond? Exactly. Like when you start doing that, that's the bad version that will get back to the couple and make them feel like their guests didn't have a good time and will make them not feel good about an event that they really took, did a lot of planning for, spent probably a decent amount of money or effort on or both. Um, and I think that's that's the difference that we're talking about here. One of the ways that you can maybe introduce that accountability, even while keeping a light spirit, is to ask yourself, how would I feel if this story got back to the people that hosted that wedding? Bingo. They're probably telling stories about horseflies among themselves. And the idea that guests would be telling stories about horseflies is not going to offend. What's going to offend is that other tone. And just thinking about that person when you're telling that story or talking about that event I think can be enough. You don't need to say, would I say this to them? But you say to yourself, could I account for this if I was talking to them about it or if it got back to them? And even just that thought can oftentimes be enough to help you find that sweet spot where you're storytelling and not mocking. We've had like a full round of anonymous today. So anonymous, <laughs> another wonderful question. And thank you so much for giving us the chance to talk about the difference between laughing with and laughing at. Down. Why, 20 years from today, you won't even remember it. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question or feedback on the show. And sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining member in your question. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. I just finished listening to the episode that landed today, July 16th, regarding the question of the auto-reply email, which felt a little terse. I could see you struggling with a better response. I think I have it. This email box is unavailable and will not accept messages from July 17th through July 24th. Please resend your message on or after July 25th, and I will be pleased to give it prompt attention. This is an auto-generated reply. This message does not talk of deleting, which was the difficult part. In fact, messages during that period can be redirected to a folder so there are no disasters. By the way, I was thrilled when you answered my question earlier this year. You spent quite a bit of time on it, as I've come to realize you do for all. I'm the guy in Las Vegas whose Smith Center season tickets run the risk of being spoiled by noisy people behind me. Thank you. 
Jim C. Jim, thank you so much for writing in. And I hope that that, this, that some of the solutions are working for those noisy people behind you and that you are enjoying your uh, season at the Smith Center. Great sample script. Good I will be away script. next week. I'm considering using a version of it. I really love the and you can direct them to a folder rather than making them auto delete and then you know, you just say you, you, it's kind of like you just save that that little part of you that might worry about it is like, oh, OK, they're just here in this little place I can go to if I want. I liked it. Our next piece of feedback was about the same question. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I was listening to episode number 201 where you were discussing auto reply messages and Lizzie wished there was a way to filter out the less important messages when returning from vacation. I thought you might be interested in Google's Inbox, if you haven't heard of it already, inbox.google.com. There's an app as well. This is different than the standard Gmail inbox view because it automatically groups emails by categories, such as promo, finance, forums, etc. Emails addressed directly to me, not to a mailing list, make it into the main section of my inbox. This way I can be alerted if my mom or husband emails me, but not about every single sale going on. Entire categories can be archived or deleted at once rather than one email at a time. If you're using a different email provider, you could try setting it up so that all of your emails would forward to a Gmail account for a certain amount of time. After I got married and changed my name, I set my old email address to forward to my new one so I didn't have to check both. Of course, company policies will vary, and some offices may not be comfortable with this setup. Hope that helps. Love the show. All the best. Jen. Jen, that does help. I use oftentimes a version of Gmail, and I didn't know about the difference between Google's inbox and the usual Gmail inbox. Thanks for the suggestion. I hope it might help someone else the way I think it might help me. Thank you to everyone for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript comes from Amy Vanderbilt's book of etiquette, The Guide to Gracious Living, and it's on page 668. I wanted to connect it back to our intro topic, and it is titled, uh, Should Children Be Seen and Not Heard? Should children be seen and not heard? It would be a good idea for us to discard many of the old saws to do with the training of the young, and this, the idea that a child having nothing to say, at least nothing of importance to most adults, should say nothing, is one of them. The ability to carry on a conversation at meals is an art, developed like any other through guided practice. Even the baby at the table should have some conversation or attention directed his way occasionally, even if he replies with nothing more than goo. Otherwise, he will find some antisocial way of getting the attention, such as spilling his milk on the tablecloth or dropping his spoon on the floor. If we have the children at the table at all, they should be treated with the same courtesy and consideration we give to the adults there. Of course, children should not be permitted to monopolize the conversation or make everyone else uncomfortable by their noise or messiness. If because of fatigue or the presence of too many strangers— other children as guests can sometimes upset the apple cart nicely. The usually pleasant child begins to make a scene at table. Remove him gently and let him have his food by himself. 
not as punishment, but for his comfort, and of course yours. In fact, it is better to anticipate such possible crises and arrange beforehand to sidestep them. But don't scold the child or apologize unduly to the adults about him. This too shall pass. Don't expect too much of him now. I really loved hearing another etiquette expert、um, from back in the day, sort of talking about the idea of respect for children, about taking ownership of their capabilities and giving them chances to step up, you know, and and planning for then if it doesn't work out. I love that idea of start at the table. If it doesn't work, move to the kitchen table. <laughs> I like a lot of what I just heard. There's so much coherence between Amy Vanderbilt and Emily Post. Absolutely, and both in terms of the substance of the advice, as you point out, the the way that you would handle the situation, the approach to treating children like the little humans that they are, with respect and with an eye towards both including them and preparing them for success later in life. I also like her whole framing of the discussion, where she. Challenges some of these assumptions that she feels have been handed down, and a willingness to to look at the conditions that that are present in her world and and respond to them in a way that really makes sense. I I also feel a lot of Emily Post's common sense approach reflected in that, and it makes me feel good about the whole tradition of etiquette writing and Amy Vanderbilt. And about having your child at the table. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Amy Vanderbilt, for that solid advice. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we hear from Sarah via Facebook. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'd like to offer an etiquette salute to all the people who come from other cultures where unwritten rules of etiquette are different, and who make an effort to understand etiquette in their new home. I live in a city with a significant immigrant population. Recently, an immigrant acquaintance of mine asked me a question regarding a minor point of etiquette—the kind of thing that I, as a natural-born citizen of a non-immigrant family, have never really thought about. When I answered his question, he said thank you and explained that things are done differently in his homeland, but he'd noticed the discrepancy and wanted to make sure he was behaving politely in his new city. When I reflected on this, I realized there must be so many of these things to learn. Examples include who holds the door for whom, how close to stand when talking to someone, when to use your car horn, etc. There are so many unspoken rules we follow every day, and I can't imagine how hard it must be to move to another country away from everything you know, to where you may not even speak the language, and try to figure all this stuff out. So I'd like to say kudos to all of my new neighbors from other places. I can't imagine how hard it must be, and I appreciate the effort you are making every day to make sure the kindness and respect you carry in your heart comes across in your behavior. Thanks for the show. I love it so much, Sarah. Sarah, thank you so much. That is such a great salute. I love the the reflective. Let me put myself in someone else's shoes. Etiquette, nature of it, and even. When I'm not in Vermont, I'm not in my home state. I notice a difference. You mentioned like the car horn and when to honk, and I notice it when driving. Sort of the etiquette and courtesies that change in region to region. You know, 
there is so much that's easy to take for granted. It's Social true. behavior is so complicated. We are such sophisticated creatures. I think about how much like Anisha is picking up on the social behaviors that you and Pooj are. Mod- I don't want to say modeling because that's like it sounds like you're you're faking it when you do it, but actually doing in front of her. And it's little kids are one of the best places to see it because they'll do something and you're like. I didn't specifically teach you that. How did you figure that out? And it's it's things, I mean, they're not honking car horns, but it's things like these little behaviors, how close to stand to someone, things like that. Sarah, thank you for this reminder and for this really kind salute. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us your questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. So check us out in both places. And please consider helping us out by becoming a sustaining member. You can do so by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. And sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining member in your question. Uh, You can also subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thank you, Chris. Everybody tells me to be more thoughtful. Well, I'd like to be more thoughtful. If I only knew what it meant.